Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. How you doing today? Good? Good. That's what I like to hear. Uh, of course, we always love getting together as church family. Uh, that's always a great opportunity. We want to welcome our regular church family. And of course, as Pastor Glenn said earlier, always want to welcome our guest here. If this is the first time, uh, we're delighted to have you. And also welcome to those who are watching us online. Uh, for those who maybe have never experienced watching this service online, I'm always amazed every week, you know, when, you, when, you, when people say where they're from. And, uh, you know, we have people like friends of ours, the Brodies, who are in Africa. They usually watch every week and they say, hey, hey hi from Africa. Or, or some of our missionaries sometimes in Venezuela will say, hey, hi from the Jenks, as they're tuning in. And so we have people literally that join us around the world. And uh, it's always a great pleasure to have them. Now, if this is your first time watching or the first time that you've been here, I always like to let people know what we're all about right at the very beginning of the service. Because some people say, well, what's the main thing that happens there at Temple Baptist Church? And for us, uh, we just say it in one phrase. The main thing. Some people say, oh, the mission of the church, and that is to connect people to Jesus and to one another. Like, we actually do believe that an encounter with Jesus is a game changer for people. And then, we just believe when you do life together, it's just so much better. And so that's why we, we really love to be able to introduce people who are far from God into a relationship with Jesus Christ and then kind of get them plugged in to what's uh, happening here and with other relationships. Five Sundays ago, we began a series called New Through 30. And if you haven't been around, uh, let me just tell you that New Through 30, what we did is we challenged our church family to read through the New Testament, believe it or not, in 30 days. And at first it seemed a little daunting. And what we've discovered that it's not just a series, it really has become an experience as we've read through that. And, and I've heard from scores of people who have said, you know, I, I've never read through the New Testament before. It's been a great experience and, and I'm learning things that I, I never even saw before. So uh, congratulations to those who have been just pressing through. I finished Friday night at 20 after 11 at night. Got through my uh, new through 30, and, and some are still working your way through. You're still counting on a couple more grace days to get it through, and, and others are, you know, you're hoping for about another month, maybe two months, and I just want to encourage you, keep slugging away um, as you're reading through. You'll be so glad uh, when you finish. Uh, this is what I figured out. If you have finished your new through 30, or the next day or so, in, in 30 days, you have read 180,552 words. 7,597 verses, 260 chapters, and 27 books over the last four weeks. I think you deserve it. Give yourself a hand for pressing on and doing that. So I thought, since so many of you have been reading through uh, this new Through 30, that I would just kind of see how well you've been retaining. And so I was going to call people out by name, but I'll spare you, okay? I'll let you all be able to to call a friend to help you answer some of these questions. So I thought we'd start off something very simple. Uh, all the books of the New Testament are up here on the stage. Can, any, can you shout out, what are the, what are the Gospels? Oh, good job for you. Anybody know um, what book of the Bible was written by a tax collector? Matthew. Ooh, pretty sharp. Uh, anybody know... Um, uh, a medical doctor that wrote a book. Right. In fact, he wrote two books. Um, what book is the, uh, the history of the church? The book of Acts. Okay. What, what epistles? 
were written in prison. Call a friend. Galatians? No, not Galatians. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. All four of those books were written while the Apostle Paul was in prison. Um, what book was written by a man who was in exile on an island of Patmos? What book did he write? The book of Revelation. Uh, very good. What book of the Bible in the New Testament here says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me? <laughs> Philippians, right? I can do all things... Through Christ who strengthens me, Philippians 4, 13. Which one of the four Gospels records the miracle, the miraculous feeding of 5,000? Ooh, we got a sharp scholar back there. All four Gospels record uh, the feeding of the 5,000. What book says this? And now now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is love. 1 Corinthians Uh, What is the shortest book in the New Testament? You know what? I heard some people say Jude. I actually thought it was Jude at first. When I I thought, what What is the shortest book? 2 John, only 13 verses. 2 John, okay? Uh, what's What's the shortest verse in the New Testament? Jesus wept. John eleven thirty five. 35. Well, you know what? I think some of you've done a good job retaining the things that you have read. I want to congratulate you guys for doing so well. Um, I won't compare you to the 9 o'clock <laughs> because, because, okay. Um, what we've been trying to do as we've been working through the New Testament is that the reading that you have this particular week, we, we've been just kind of zeroing in on a passage of Scripture that you read this week. If you're on that, uh, you're going according to the bookmark that says what reading uh, you have. And so the, 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 the passage we're going to look at today, some would call it a, a classic. Like it's, it's, it's a classic. And, and one particular verse, some would say it may be the most famous verse in all of the Bible. And it's, it's John 3, 16. Have you heard of it? Like, let's see if we can say it together. For God loved the world that he gave that whosoever perish. Great job on you. Very, very good. You know, this verse has actually made its way into pop culture. Um, if you've ever found yourself on the west coast of the United States and you're, you're uh, hankering for uh, a burger, the best burger that money can buy is found at a place called In-N-Out. And I don't know if you've ever been there, but they are awesome burgers. And if you've ever been there, you may notice this on one of their products. On the bottom of every one of their cups is written John 3.16. Now, I don't know how many ladies here shop at Forever 21. Have you, ever, have you ever heard of that store, Forever 21? Look at what's at the bottom of those shopping bags. Right in the bottom, John 3:16. But I think the person who probably has had more impact in, in making it part of our everyday culture is a well-known football player. You may have know this guy, Tim Tebow. John 3:16. Do you know when he put that on, the, the day that he won the, um, the national uh, uh, championship, that after that game, 94 million searches on Google on what is John 3.16. 
Isn't that amazing that God would use a football player to encourage people to look up a verse of what John 3.16. In fact, for days and days, it was the number one search uh, all over uh, the internet. And, and many refer to that verse as the greatest love story. Uh, some would say it's the gospel in a nutshell. And, and it's a great verse, but let me tell you, it's far greater when you make it personal, when that verse becomes personal to you. And so this verse doesn't just stand alone. It actually comes out in a conversation that is taking place. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you turn to John chapter 3? John chapter 3, and if the Bible's fairly new to you, it's one of the Gospels. It's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John chapter 3. And what I'm going to do is ask you again, if you would stand as we read God's Word this morning. John chapter 3. We'll pick it up in verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you've not, you're not familiar with that term, Pharisee. What, what, what is a Pharisee? I will tell you they, are, they were religious leaders, and this, they, they began, their movement began by putting a very high a value uh, on the scriptures, on God's word. You would almost say they were the first ones maybe to start a holiness movement. They were concerned that people weren't living out what the scriptures have said. But what often happens sometimes in holiness movements, the emphasis has always been on inward change, but after a while it begins to focus itself on outward change. You know, uh, to bring it up to modern times, you know, some churches would say, well, you, you know, don't wear jeans to church, you know, don't go to movies, don't play cards. It all becomes, becomes outward. And, and what had happened here with the Pharisees, even though it started good, like they want to put a high value, it began to take a, a different turn, and all of a sudden, there's this value of external stuff. And, and this is the kind of person that Nicodemus was. And he's come to Jesus. And, and anytime you have scriptures and you separate it from Jesus, uh, it's gonna be lifeless. And the Pharisees had separated the scriptures from Jesus. So what started out to be a good thing actually ended up being a group of people who just acted very judgmental towards others. So let's continue reading here. It says he was a member of the Jewish ruling council and he came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miracle, miraculous signs that you are doing only if God, if God were not with him. Isn't interesting, Nicodemus is really good with words. He, he's very flattering as he is speaking to Jesus here. In verse three it says, in reply Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Well, how can a man be born again when he's old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, well, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the spirit. And flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it's coming from. 
or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Well, how can this be, Nicodemus asked. You're an Israelite teacher, said Jesus, and you don't understand these things? I tell you the truth, we, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And then we come to that verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Let's just pray. Father, this morning, I pray that over these next few minutes, as we look at these words of Jesus, I pray, God, it would cause us all to do a little bit of soul searching, to see where we actually are in our relationship with you. And of course, God, our, our, our heart's cry is that those who may be here today who are like Nicodemus coming to search out who you are. Of course, our prayer, God, that you would be so kind and gracious to open up their eyes to, to catch a fresh glimpse of who Jesus is. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As, as one of the staff members, as one of the team members, as one of the pastors, uh, I just want to let you know, like we're passionate about connecting people to Jesus and to one another. People who are far from God. Uh, people that, who just know intellectual things about Jesus that have it all stored up in their heads. And uh, we've always had this desire to want to connect people who are far from God. Now, I don't know what your image is when, when someone says, oh, that person is far from God. You know, sometimes we have these images in our head. Somebody who's far from God, oh, that must be, oh, that's like a drug dealer. Or that's a crook. Or, um, oh, that, that's a hooker. Or, you know, that's, that's an adulterer. Or, or that's, a, that's a murderer. I don't know what comes to your mind. But sometimes we forget that some of the people who are the farthest from God are people who have been surrounded by the things of God all their life. You know, they have attend church week after week after week after week. In our city of 73,000, I, I remember counting one time, I think there's like 85 churches. And let me tell you, in every church, there's going to be people who are far from God. Yet, they're at church every week. There will be people at Temple Baptist Church. Maybe you've been here for weeks, for weeks, maybe years. But the reality is, you're far from God this morning. And Nicodemus has a, an encounter with God, the Son of God, and his whole belief system is turned inside out, upside down. His world changes. A lot of Saturday nights, I'll come in here when, when nobody's here and everybody's gone home for the night. And, and I'll walk through every aisle. And I just kind of pray over every chair. Because I realize, you know, the next day there's going to be people 
that are here who are hurting and heavy laden and carry the burdens of the world and there's gonna be people here that don't know God and just kind of pray through this place because that is our passion that people would come to know who Jesus is and whether you're here this morning hearing the gospel for the very first time or the 100th time this morning that is our desire Uh, whether you're unchurched or once churched or over churched that you would come to know who Jesus is my prayer and our, our staff's prayer our leadership's prayer is that you would through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that your life would be turned upside down inside out like Nicodemus's life was now there's something about Nicodemus that when he comes honestly I, I I'm a little suspicious when I start reading that story it makes me suspicious as I begin the story of, of Nicodemus. Uh, red flags kind of go up in my head when I begin to read this story because the first thing it says, there was a man who was a Pharisee and he's come to see Jesus. Now, if you've been reading through the New Testament, you, you've come across that word Pharisee a lot. And the Pharisees, the, the, the gospel tell us over and over and over again, the Pharisees had one thing in mind. They were plotting to kill Jesus. They just wanted to get rid of him. So when a Pharisee shows up to talk with Jesus, my antenna goes up like, okay, what, what's going on here? Is he, is he an undercover agent? Uh, perhaps he's a spy. Like, what is he up to? Like, why is there a Pharisee coming to have a, a chat with Jesus? Because he's part of the group that want to get rid of the man. Is he there to uh, tape a recording, uh, a conversation recording? Like, why would he come? And and when you look at Nicodemus, when you kind of study a little bit about him, uh, by all appearances, everything is going well for him. He he is a well-educated man. He's well-established. He's he's financially secure. He's not rubbing pennies together to try to make ends meet at the end of the month. He's a man with power and position. He's part of the Jewish ruling council, which means he was he was one of the Sanhedrins. And if you don't know what a Sanhedrin is, it's like in modern days, it'd be like a politician. Um, and, and one of the things about the Sanhedrin was very interesting is that Sanhedrins would memorize the first five books of the Old Testament, not read the first five books of the New Testament, or the Old Testament, actually memorize Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, 5,300 verses. That was part of being a Sanhedrin. And that's who Nicodemus is. He, he's a politician, um, and he's, he's memorized a huge amount of Scripture. Uh, in our culture, it seems almost unlikely that a man like Nicodemus would come to Jesus admitting that there's something missing in his life. I mean, how could anything be missing in his life? He's got it all. He's got it going on. He's living the Canadian dream. He has the corner office with the initials VP uh, right by it. I mean, he's driving the BMW. He's got the three-car garage, the double-story home. He's got it spiritually going on and, and physically and mentally and intellectually and emotionally. He's got it all wrapped up in a nice little bow. Like, he's got it all. And yet he approaches Jesus because he's discovered he doesn't have it all. There is something missing. And, and he can't quite put his finger on it, but he knows something is missing. And he's just trying to figure out a simple question, what is the purpose of my life? Like, what is life all about? 
I don't know if anybody remembers this book. Came out probably about 10, maybe 10 years ago, something like that, or 12 years ago. The Purpose Driven Life. Um, I believe it's still the number one bestseller of nonfiction books. It was on the New York bestseller list for oh my god, weeks and weeks, months and months and months. It was just it just hung on that list. And when I think of this book, I don't know who you think was buying this book, but I'm going to suggest it's probably not the person out on the street. Um, coughing up 15 bucks to buy a book like this. No, you know who's buying a book like this? People like Nicodemus. People who have it all together, financially secure, still trying to figure out the question, what is the purpose of life? Like what's missing in my life? And these are the kind of people who have it all together. (laughs) And yet they're still trying to discover what is missing which makes me realize they don't have it all together. People who are far from God are not always the way that we think things look. I've had many conversations with with people from church who just say, you know, my neighbor, they they just have everything going. I don't think I could ever talk about Jesus. They got a great family and a great marriage and a great career and a nice home. There's no need. (laughs) They don't have a need for Jesus. And sometimes we deceive ourselves to think that because it looks like life is going great. Well, for Nicodemus, let me tell you, life looks good. (laughs) It looks really good. And yet, we discover something is missing. And so it says that Nicodemus came himself. He didn't send an associate. He didn't send uh, some kind of one of his servants. He came to get the scoop himself. And, um, and take notice that one of the little details, you almost wonder why it doesn't just say Nicodemus came to see Jesus, but interesting, it adds just a little bit of a detail there. It says, and Nicodemus came at night. Like why? Why that piece of information? I mean, why does that stand out? Is there any significance in it? Well, you know, scholars have debated that for a long time, why it says that. Some would suggest the reason Nicodemus came at night is because he was really nervous that his other buddies might see him. He didn't want to be made fun of or poked at or mocked. Maybe he was fearful of repercussions if somebody knew he'd gone to have a conversation with Jesus because he really is putting his status on the line. His, his reputation could go up in smoke if people knew that he came to talk to Jesus. His position in the inner circle, maybe that will be taken from him. Maybe his constituents would have a negative thought of him. And I think there's some validity in that argument that he just wanted to sneak in so nobody would know. Other people say, well, Jesus was just so busy, you know, feeding the hungry and healing the sick and doing these miraculous things and doing some teaching that there was just actually no time uh, to have a, a meeting with Jesus. The only time slot he could get was an evening appointment. And I began to just think that through. And, and as long as it's daytime, I think it is easy to act like we have everything together. But when nighttime comes, it seems like we begin to search for something more. And in this day, Nicodemus has got it going on. He really does look like he has it all together. He's dressing for success. He's got the corner office with the incredible view. He's got associates working for him. He has position and power, but when night falls, questions just begin to fall on him as well. It seems to be at nighttime, he he lets his guard down. No one's looking. He doesn't have to perform for people. He's not have to answer questions 
Like, to why I'm here. What's the purpose of my visit to Jesus? And he's wrestling with, is there anything more to life than just what I'm doing here? Like, what's my purpose? Is, is there more to just making money and getting married and having children and making more money and having nice vacations and fancy homes and then die? That's what Nicodemus is kind of trying to figure out. Is there anything more than that? Or is that it? Is that all? And it seems that he has some doubts because he's got all that. And something's not quite right. And it's true, most people have their act together in the daytime. But when night comes, so do the questions. And there are there those here today who have it all together in the daylight. When we're on display, we know how to demonstrate to others that we got the world by the tail. And as far as your neighbors can see, your coworkers, your family, your spouse, as long as it's daytime, it seems like you have no problems. You got it going. But then reality strikes you. And Nicodemus is this kind of man in the daylight. He's a ruler, he, he's wealthy, he's religious. And everyone would have voted him as the mayor, the premier, the next prime minister. He had all the credentials for a long political career. And I gotta believe that there are people here, even this morning, that out in the open, it all looks like you, you got it together. But when night comes, like when no one's around, and you're put under the microscopes, that's when the questions come. Is there more to life than what I know? In the daylight, you know how to talk. You know how to put it on. You know how to act so nobody asks any questions of you. But when you're by yourself, sometimes it's a different story. You're flooded with all kinds of questions. Your mind is filled with questions. Your soul is overwhelmed with questions. You know how to impress uh, you, you know what to drive, you, you know where to work, uh, you don't drink too much, you're, you're not an alcoholic, you're not a drug dealer, you're, you're not a consumer of drugs. It, it, it just looks like you got it all together. And as long as light is around and lots of activity, everything's good, but the first sign of nightfall, when you're laying alone by yourself, staring at the ceiling, working through all of your inventory, saying, there's gotta be more. There's gotta be more than this. And some here today, maybe you call yourself a Christian, you call yourself a follower of Jesus, and yet, there has been no change in your life. Like, we're just talking even little incremental changes. Still living the same way that you've always listened. I want to tell you, you are meant for more. You are meant for more. And maybe you would find yourself sneaking up to Jesus at night so nobody will know that you don't have it all together. And what I find interesting is that it's Jesus' response when Nicodemus comes. Like, Nicod like Jesus doesn't acknowledge anything that, that Nicodemus asks. 
None of those questions. He doesn't even comment on his flattering words. He doesn't say, Nicodemus, I'm really glad that you notice how busy I have been. You know, Nicodemus, I, I appreciate your acknowledgement uh, of who I am. See, Jesus is true. He doesn't acknowledge what Nicodemus has said to him. And honestly, I, I think Jesus is never impressed with people's simple acknowledgement of him. Because he's not impressed with Nicodemus' acknowledgement. He's not imp- I don't think he is impressed when we just simply acknowledge who Jesus is. See, so what happens is Jesus is going to go right to the issue. He's not going to get sidetracked with all these little questions that Nicodemus has because he knows Nicodemus, what's real, what's going on in his life. He's, it's like he's saying, hey, Mr. Soul-searching, tithing, fasting Nicodemus man, hey, you must be born again. In one phrase, Jesus actually gets to the heart of the matter of Nicodemus' issue. He says, you, Nicodemus, must be born again. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear that term born again, because honestly, you know, media has certainly given it a distorted view of what it means to be born again. It, usually it's like Christians who are fanatics, you know, religious morons, jugheads, you know, meatheads. That's kind of the, the picture you get when you hear the word born again. But this is not a term we need to back away from. Jesus doesn't mix words. He just says, you've got to be born again. Like you have got to be born again. You will never have supernatural change in your life by human effort. It's only if you're born again. And, and, and some people here are still trying to fix the relationship that they have with God, trying harder and harder week after week and month after month and year after year and still discovering that they can't do anything about it. In fact, what you find, you just get more frustrated. That's why Jesus says, you must be born again. Because change doesn't happen in your life when it's just human efforts. It's a supernatural power of God. And you know, sometimes we'll, we'll use the word believe on, on Jesus. And sometimes I feel like we have uh, cheapened that word believe. Sometimes I think, well, if you believe, we, 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 people think, ah, it's like you acknowledge him. That, that's believing. But I think the word believe has been stripped away from its meaning. To believe is to trust him actually with your future, trusting him with your life. It's stepping out in faith, not knowing what your future is, but knowing who holds your future. That's believing. Believing is casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. Jesus is saying, you must be born again. Jesus doesn't say, you know what, Nicodemus, really, I know you got it all going on, but you you really should, you, you really should be born again. No. He says, you must. You must be born again. Hey, you Mr. Three-Piece Suit Corner Office Guy, you must be born again. Hey, you Miss Homecoming Queen, you must be born again. Hey, you Mr. Football Jock, you must be born again. You hockey superstar, you must be born again. You Miss Entrepreneur, you must be born again. You Mr. High Schooler who looks like you have it all together, you must be born again. You Mr. 4.0 college student, you must be born again. You, Mr. Perfect Attendance at Church, you must be born again. Hey, 
you miss who have the perfect family must be born again. Hey, you, Mr. Medical Doctor guy, you must be born again. Hey, you miss who, who's such a committed to the community as a hard worker, yeah, you must be born again. You, Mr. and Mrs. Charity Board Chairman, you must be born again. Do you get what Jesus is saying? You must be born again. Hey, Nicodemus. Hey, listen, I know you got all kinds of structure going on in your world and in your life, and you're a man of great intentions, but with all of that, here's a man who's missing something in his life, and night comes, and he's bothered by it. It's like his uncertainties are, are driving him crazy, is driving him mad. And maybe you're here this morning and you are like Nicodemus, like there's nothing to lean on. Like I, I get this stuff, but it, it can come and go so quick. I, I, have, I have no sec- absolute security, nothing to really lean on for tomorrow. You must be born again. See, I believe God wants to breathe in us a fresh new faith. He wants to breathe the Spirit of God unto us. And that's why I want to encourage you, if you're here today and you're just trying to work your way to God, stop trying to make, uh, you, you, uh, try, stop trying to prove yourself to God. Stop trying to win his favor. Stop trying to buy your way in. Jesus just says you must be born again. I mean, this is the offer that God gives. You don't earn being born again. You don't buy being born again. It's when we trust our whole life to Jesus. And I know, I know, life can look amazing during the day. But when night comes, during the day, we put our act together But at night is when sometimes the questions haunt us. What is life all about? What's my purpose? What am I doing here? And believing on Jesus is more than just acknowledging him. Believing in Jesus is is more than something you just think. See, believing in Jesus is when you really do trust him for your eternal destiny. Believing in him is when all of your confidence is in him and him alone. When we strip away sometimes what we think the word believing means or we strip away what we think maybe born again means, what it is, being born again is the fact that Jesus took it all, like all that punishment on himself. Not, not some of it or not even most of it, like he took all of it that should have been cast on us, he put it on himself. And that's why he can say, be born again, like, trust, believe in me. Who's done this for you? And some of you here this morning need a fresh new start. You know, some of you have actually even read through, new through 30. You've done it, you've taken the challenge. You've read through the whole New Testament in 30 days. And some feel like I've just kind of checked off my box. I think that will make God really happy. That should help weigh the scale for me. I read through the New Testament, 30 days. 
And the confidence is you're putting it in yourself. When Jesus says, I, I've done it all. Like, why do you keep persisting to work and work and work for my acceptance? I freely give to you. And that's why he simply says, hey, Tumble Baptist Church, people of Sarnia, you must be born again if you're going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Simple message, a classic passage of scripture, John 3, 16, for God so loved this world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe on him would have eternal life. Let's pray.